Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer a Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer a Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're back here for part two of the defense against the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, I'm going to talk about that with our friend Tyler Gross. Tyler, how you doing? I'm doing well, Ken. Thanks for asking. Uh, great great to have you back here for part two. We, we just recorded part one. And if you have not heard that yet, go back and download that. First of all, listen to them in order. It just makes more sense. But also, you're gonna, you, you, you are at risk of missing some potentially outstanding content from Tyler. Lots of talk about uh, setting the edge and what JPP has added to this team. Uh, some talk about Ajabo and where he might be used. 
Uh, talk about the, the, the little bit of the way the Ravens found a way to win this game and uh, in particular in the red zone, uh, why they might be a little bit better there. But there's a lot of good stuff. And, and Tyler is an excellent uh, uh, guest who, who came up through Film Study Shorts and, and is uh, here now on Christmas night recording this episode. Really appreciate you being here, Tyler. Glad to be here. Uh, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to everyone out there. Festive hat there. You are yeah. you are wearing the Ravens purple with the with the with the white there as you enjoy your Tahoe vacation. You guys can't see it um, through the audio forum, but I'm wearing <laughs> a Christmas Ravens themed hat, which I wore during the game and then on the slopes. So this right, is bringing good, good tidings. All right, it would have not been anywhere near warm enough for that game yesterday, but uh, uh, anyway, <laughs> no, we complained a little bit enough about that, I think, by now. No, yeah. Glad, th- glad I was watching it on TV. Yeah, yeah, that was a better place. Need to thank our sponsor, uh, Liquid Death, the water that will brutally murder your thirst. Please give their product a try. They've got some great flavors, including a lime seltzer uh, that I think you'll like. I want to talk about a little bit about the pass rush to start our discussion here. And, and this was a very odd game. Well, I, I didn't know exactly how this would play out. Um, McDonald has used varying strategies to get after quarterbacks. Uh, And in this game, he basically decided it's easier to use a very vanilla pass rush and allow Ritter to make his own mistakes. Coming off a single game where Ritter had been terrible, 89 yards on 30 30 plays, dropbacks resulting in a passer sack, so under three yards per play net. Um, very bad in his first game. Ravens obviously did not know exactly what to expect. And Ritter was frankly a lot better than he was in his first game, but still they, they, they definitely relied on him making unforced errors rather than trying extreme to pressure him in an extreme way. Yeah. It's, I think that that's generally like, I think that's been borne out to be a good strategy against the younger guys that Belichick, you know, famously is great against rookie quarterbacks. I think letting them, Letting their youth get the best of them is probably a smart tactic. So, you know, our our potential criticism here of the pass rush comes with the caveat that it probably wasn't a focus for the defensive game plan. Yeah, yeah, they, it's that's a, that's a good point. And and looking at first thing I usually like to look at is the number of pressure plays and whatnot. They but they, they really use very little in in the in the way of numbers in this game. Very little in the way of deception in this game. We'll get to that in a little bit. And uh, it, it resulted in only 10 pressure events on 35 dropbacks, which is not a lot. And it's not a lot against a rookie quarterback who can, you know, sometimes get himself into some trouble of his own or stare down some receivers and make it make it difficult on himself. Um, but let's start off with the the ample time and space they gave him. So they gave him that 10 times. And normally a really good quarterback lights you up or Mahomes would light you up for over 10 yards of throw when, when you give him ample time and space, if you give him time to just sit back in the pocket and, you know, make a sandwich before he throws the ball. Uh, he's going to really light you up pretty badly. Well, Ritter didn't do poorly in those situations, 7.7 yards per throw in those 10 plays didn't have any turnovers of his own, but one of them was the 20 yard throw to London on fourth and two. Where Ravens gave a lot of time to throw that ball. He got it off. Uh, and then London fell for the football. Yeah, I think play. I think those plays you just kind of shake the guy's hand and say, "Do it again." <laughs> yeah, uh, it's yeah. In, in certain terms of 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 how effective that is, we've talked about the ball out quick definition before, but these are are plays where 
the ball was out too quick before pressure could have developed, but in my estimation, it would have developed before three seconds. And since you don't always know, I have a bias towards uh, calling it ball out quick. If the ball is out immediately on a screen pass, for example, even if I think, oh, the line got in a particularly good good position to block the play, uh, if there's a second and a half or two seconds left and the ball's already out, there's, there's not a lot of point in calling that anything but ball out quick. Hmm. So by definition, ball out quicks exclude sacks. So it kind of truncates the thing, whereas your ample time and space plays include some sacks that occur late on a play. But ball out quick by definition is it doesn't include those. 113 yards on 15 of those. And I'll say this, that's very impressive that Ritter can get rid of the ball before pressure has any chance to develop 43% of the time. Hmm. I'm curious with the numbers there. Um, do you, so if, for example, on plays where, where the quarterback rolls out and kind of he creates the sack himself, does that go down as a pet like to the pass rusher as a positive pass rush play or is it or do you grade it on in a different in a different way and individually it would go down as a positive play for the pass rusher or pass blocker which do you mean well i just mean so like like if you're if i said who had the best pass rush grade if okay. if like let's say queen had two sacks on on beating him to the edge ritter to the edge would you would those be affecting positively his pass rush grade I think the answer is certainly chasing down the quarterback and be able to make sure he can't get to that edge is very, very valuable. And I believe Queen did not even rush the passer on those plays. He was a um, after-the-pocket-is-broken rusher. So when I say that was a four-man pass rush on that play, it was four initially, and then Queen and Stevens were five and six after the after the pocket was broken. They don't even count in the pass yeah. rush numbers. For me. Yeah, that's why I was asking that. I, yeah. I, was, I was curious how that, how that works in your numbers. Yeah. So, but, but anyway, that's, it's a, it's a, it's a good definitional question anyway. And, and generally speaking, the offensive lineman, he needs to hold his, his, uh, his point in the line for three seconds. And if his, if, if his, you know, set of responsibilities there, uh, if, if, if somebody gets through, that's bad. But if the quarterback uh, creates the problem by moving outside of the pocket, then he's all of a sudden not responsible for it. And that will happen a fair amount of times with, with rollout quarterbacks is that they'll leave a clean pocket and make a difficult job and in particular for the right tackle is that, is that he'll often, you know, lose his leverage on his, on the guy he's trying to block as you would understand uh, with that happening. Mm. All right. So with ball out quick Ritter had 113 yards on 15 plays, seven and a half yards per play on those. So very effective, honestly, in those two, the pressure, they didn't get it often, but when they got it, it was very effective. 22 plays, sorry, 22 yards on 10 plays for 2.2 yards per play so i I mean that's better than i would say typical which may be a a normal pressure number is it's maybe right around four to three and a half to four yards per uh play and certainly over the years uh, joe flacco was in that kind of range and was about eight when he had ample time and space so i used to always tell people it's worth about four yards per play to have a, a to have ample time and space as opposed to not uh, but this is this is a uh, you know a game with a with a young quarterback I think who did reasonably well given the circumstances the weather and and the opponent uh, in terms of coming up uh, frankly with a pretty big game. Ritter, you you saying Ritter? Yeah, game? yeah, yeah. Probably based on expectations coming off last week and you know how 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 not successful their passing offense has been for the year. Uh, there were mo- multiple throws I did not expect him to make in that game that I was yeah. impressed by. He he wasn't he wasn't dropping dimes left and right. He, he was mm-hmm. off, you know, behind London on that pass where Hamilton was in coverage a handful of times. But either way, he was he was making some impressive throws for sure. 
Yeah, I, I, I thought so too. And, uh, uh, threw the ball away when it was fairly appropriate to do so. He did have the one intentional grounding flag, which was probably, I think I, you know, we talked about this in the first show. We don't have to talk about it again. I thought it was probably appropriate, but, mm-hmm. uh, but anyway, I, I, I thought a pretty good game for him, given that it's, it's especially a case of you're grading on the curve for the opponent. And even mm-hmm. though the Ravens are without, you know, Marcus Peters for the game and also for the, for the weather condition, I thought it was pretty, pretty exceptional how well he yeah, credit to him for for not coughing the ball up uh, it's against an opportunistic defense. I would have bet uh, whatever the odds are against the field that there would be, a, yes. you know, he would have a turnover one way or the other, whether it be them trying to use him, his mobility or him throwing something to Marcus Williams or something. Yeah, yeah, I, I probability I would agree or, or or even a ball getting tipped at the line of scrimmage. That's something the Ravens have done. Yeah, somewhat. We only saw recently. one, right? That Chuck Clark one that popped straight up and landed in the middle. It was the only. I think uh, ball in the air opportunity. Ball in the air, yeah. So Hamilton got a nice PD, and Queen rolled over someone to get that ball touching the ground for a PD. Mm-hmm. They had so they had a couple of them, but they. But you're right. That was the that was the one time where the ball was in the air. Uh, let's talk a little bit about by numbers. So they had uh, one play with a three man pass rush. It went for minus one yards. Uh, so that's not a lot to go on. Nineteen plays. With I'm looking at the defensive backs. <laughs> Let me do this right here. One play for zero yards with a three-man pass rush. Uh, 24 plays for 134 yards. 5.6 yards per play with a four-man pass rush. Nine for 78 with a five-man pass rush. Pretty small sample size. It did include the 20-yard pass to London, which got punched free. So uh, that's a that's something to look at in terms of, of that not being nearly as good as that 8.7 yards per play would tell you. And then one incomplete. Uh, on the only six man pass rush. The only thing I'll point to here out of this out of this set of numbers is that it's still very nice that the Ravens are able to get a couple sacks with a four man pass rush. So two out of 24, that's eight and a third percent. Um, that's fantastic for a four man pass rush. It, it, it's pretty good for your overall pass rush uh, win rate to be in the top six or seven, probably in the whole NFL if 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 you had that average on every play. But to have it with a four-man rush is really exceptional. You usually often have to rush an extra man to to generate a sack. Mm-hmm. Well, and it was just, it, both of them were the four-man pass rush, right? By now, you're probably noticing that there's strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. Well, that's because it's not beer. It's actually mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called Liquid Death. Why is it called Liquid Death? Well, because it will brutally murder your thirst, and they're infinitely recyclable tall boy cans help bring death to plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of their profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. By now, you probably know how much I love Liquid Death. Well, every week I tell you about a different way I've used Liquid Death to mess with people. This week it was taking a cooler full of Liquid Death to the softball game. Because as our team chugged down Liquid Death, our play improved while the other team drank other stuff and maybe got a little sloppy out on the field. So take Liquid Death, the other team has no clue what you're doing. Or take it to work. We've talked about that many times. Drag it around to your friends at school. Maybe the carpool lane. Maybe we'll talk about the carpool lane next week. Just take Liquid Death. Enjoy it. It's ice cold water. You're going to have a great time and fun. Go get Liquid Death at your local Harris Teeter or 7-Eleven or find Liquid Death retailers near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash film study that's liquiddeath.com slash film study both of them were a four-man pass rush that's correct so they're both on that second drive of the game but the but is there is it a is there like a little bit of an an asterisk because 
Queen wasn't a pass rusher, but is the one who got the sack. So, you know, maybe he kind of converts from spy or coverage responsibilities into a right. pass rush, making a fifth. Um, you could you could say there's an asterisk in that if you want. Uh, it's not an asterisk to me because that's the way I've always done it. But but no 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 yeah yeah yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. Not, I didn't mean to call out the uh, no no the no. You're you're, you're you're I'm I'm not insulted. I just I I you know one of the things it's it's happened you know just for years and years and years that the, the what they have a huge game. They might have had might have had nine sacks, but it might have been eight or seven against San Francisco in that uh, other holiday game they played on Thanksgiving. Do you remember that? It's years ago. It was two thousand and. Eleven, maybe they played that game against San Francisco. Let's see, would that make mm. sense? Given yes, it off would make the top sense. of my head, no. Okay, sixteen to six final. Anyway, they had a bunch of sacks, but but uh, and and Alex Smith was um, notoriously quoted as saying, "I keep seeing color." You know, being, being, <laughs> he's, he's constantly got color in his face on the on the plays. Yeah, that's uh, almost as bad as the Darnold I'm seeing ghosts out here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, so it, it definitely you know, there's certain quarterbacks and, and Alex Smith was probably one of them certainly early in his career anyway who was who saw pressure that wasn't there anyway that uh, yeah. that's a nice thing well speaking speaking to the organized chaos and the seeing pressure when it isn't there we'll probably touch on this a little bit later but I really enjoy when they either simulate the pressure or when it seems like players have the freedom to convert into a pass rush if their responsibility changes. Uh-huh. So there was a, a key play. Hamilton did this. Patrick Queen has, has been doing it this year where they send someone in motion and it looks like zone coverage and they're like, oh, okay, there's my guy isn't here. And they run right up to the line of scrimmage and just like, you know, shoot right off the edge and either blow up the running back or try to get to the QB, which is kind of a nice a nice a nice middle ground to have where you can have your four person pass rush and then have two potential blitzers that yeah. if your offense if the scheme changes or the formation switches those guys now you're now there's a blitz right so that's that's a, a green dog is what you're referring to there so that's that's you you have you're you have a coverage responsibility on a running back or potentially a tight end coming out of the backfield and you look at them and you identify them as a set blocker at that point and you say okay he's not leaving the backfield and you you go ahead and rush the passer at that point uh, that's that's a uh, it is a really nice way to get a delayed rusher who oftentimes does not get picked up. Um, you know, if, particularly if you're not rushing off a spot on the on the offensive line that had a bubble, meaning there's a guard, for instance, that had nobody to to, to block. Um, then you got a really good chance to have two occupied uh, pass blockers next to each other that you're shooting that gap, and that that mm-hmm. can be very effective. Uh, they, I, I want to talk a little bit about the amount of um, deception they used in this game because it was exceptionally little. Mm -hmm. So they had in this game in total only blitzed the quarterback on two different plays, meaning this is bringing guys from off the line of scrimmage. So they had um, one where they sent Hamilton and Queen and went for a pass for five, one very late where they sent both inside linebackers, went for a pass for nine, but those are their only four blitzes from off ball the entire game. And that really just gives you a sense of how much they said, you know, Ritter, we dare you. We dare you to throw the football. And mm-hmm. uh, and he, he, by and large, did not make mistakes in this game when given that opportunity. Yeah. Also says says a, a lot about where they're at with their trust in Queen and his how far he's come along with with his coverage abilities because they – we touched on it in the first episode. He missed all of four plays. and he didn't rush the passer that much. So they're, they're very comfortable keeping them there third and long passing situations, whatever, and asking them to cover somebody. 
Yeah, I, I actually, I don't know the number of times that he actually rushed the passer, but I could look that up. Um, but anyway, he, he he did rush the passer some when he was up mm-hmm. at the line of scrimmage. And that's something that another type of deception they show is, is when they bring extra guys up into the A-back, A-gap, usually the inside linebackers then, and, and show some sort of blitz that they then can drop out of. And very commonly, it's the edge defenders who drop. And in particular, I thought Owe had a, one really good drop in this game, uh, but but allows yeah. them to overload some other part of the line of scrimmage. I, yeah, I would, I would, I I would want them, the Ravens, to rush Queen the most amount that they possibly can without tipping their hand to future opponents that he isn't someone you need to watch out for in pass coverage. I, I okay. absolutely love the way he rushes the passer. His timing he has such terrific timing. Like the 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 play I think you you might be thinking of, where he goes around to the left side of, of the line of scrimmage and comes off the edge. He times it perfectly, and he's he's shown on coming up the middle, splitting the the center and the guard, or do or getting around the the running back. He's I just think he's really good uh, pass rushing abilities or an acumen for timing the snap and. I would like to see them try to incorporate that as much as they can without it becoming obvious that, Hey, let's, you know, this guy's let's account for him. Cause we don't have to worry about the pass coverage thing. I'd, I'd right. like to see it. Well, that's a, that's a, that's a, yeah, that's a very astute point. I think that the uh, part of that is, is in timing the snap, but there's another part in that when he comes delayed, he does a very good job of picking his gap and mm-hmm. Roquan and him in particular have worked off some r- wonderful cross blitz- blitzes just since he's got there. Roquan's been a good uh, pick player, but Queen has too. Queen had a really good pick uh, to, to set up one sack uh, over the last five or six weeks uh, that I can recall. This game, they actually had a play, and it was the forced fumble, the, the one turnover of the game. Queen was actually up at the line of scrimmage and dropped to cover, and then he got back in position enough to be there and aware that, with the, that the football was out and get on the ball. So that's really mm-hmm. nice that – that uh, that he can do that. Another feather in Queen's cap that he can drop from the line of scrimmage and make a contribution on a play because that is that is an area where I'd say would have been a uh, need for improvement. Oh yeah, I mean it's it's he's such an interesting case study because usually you when when you get those off ball linebackers that are a complete liability in coverage, it's their, their physical attributes play a role in that. And with Queen, he so much less explosive and athletic than he was presumably because of the delayed processing time or you know concepts whatever the different stuff is and you can't say enough about how how much that's improved for one reason or another because they've been able to either take some of those responsibilities away and shorten the processing time or because he's just made leaps and bounds in his understanding of the game right yeah, it's it's a uh, obviously all these things interplay, and the fact that he's playing with Roquan, I don't think you can understate how important that is in any of this. That that you know, just having a, a probably what is a simplified responsibility set, but having a player also you can really count on to be the gap fixer that Roquan has been since he's got here has allowed him to play a lot more free football, a lot a lot faster. Uh, even than he has. I mean, it, it seems like as as the Mike, there was more um, questioning his own judgment about where his read steps were going, and I guess sometimes appropriately because you know if one thing if, if you're tentative with your read steps, 
good chance you're going to get burned on something, whether it's a short pass slant, whether it means you, 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 you step into the wrong gap and the running gap, the running back then reads you and, and, and helps, uh, you know, make that the wrong step for you. If you're tentative with your steps, you always got, uh, you always got problems. So I think that, that queen, you know, what they said to him the very first camp was make your mistakes at a hundred miles an hour and, and it'll be fine. I think that that applies as much as it ever did in terms of, of his playing with Broquan. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if this was something we were going to touch on. I don't want to go to the negative side, but Queen, I think, does, as as incredible as he was in this game, um, spoiler alert, he's probably going to be mentioned on one of our MVPs. And yeah. as, in, as great as he's been in general, I think he is getting a little more credit than he maybe deserves because of Roquan being there and covering up what are some of his still flaws. Like during this game, I noticed he he took false steps a couple times. And if we were playing the single inside backer that we normally were playing before uh, Roquan got here, it, it Queen would have gotten way out of his fit and it would have put whoever the safety up close to the line of scrimmage was in a tough spot. But Roquan's pursuit and play recognition covered it up. And, you know, a couple times we, we touched on it in the first episode, he gets beat across his face or gives up. Uh, leverage he he gets caught in the wash sometimes and gets blocked pretty heavily Mm -hmm. but I mean in general it's been great but I think I think he's a high variance player who you you're you're only noticing the positive variances because Roquan can cover up the negative ones that's that's a very interesting point of course then Roquan's not getting enough credit for being the cleanup guy a lot of us and boy did Roquan clean up in this game in terms right. of uh, of uh, plays, Roquan also got credit for some plays, by the way, in this game that were pretty marginal. But he but he got taken he got a sack taken away too, so it's it worked out both ways. But a couple tackles down at the goal line where he touched the player down as kind of the last last guy, and another <laughs> right. way where he stood him up where there must have been five people touching him at the time he was he was tackled. But he got the he got solo that's tackle. The, that's the Ray Lewis. You jump on the pile yes. at the end and raise yes. your hand. And they're like, that's, <laughs> yes. 35 tackles in this game. Yeah. <laughs> the the coaches totals for Ray Lewis definitely were something before the NFL yeah. was counting tackles officially that were a uh, were a real problem but uh, but anyway pretty pretty cool stuff. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I I've, I've kind of forgotten where we are on the show here. Yes. Okay, I want to talk a little bit about the fact that they did very little of other deceptive elements here. They they had only one stunt the entire game. Now one thing that's true about the, the relationship between blitzes and stunts is that teams will stunt a lot more when they're not blitzing because players call some on-field stunts. And they they say, well, you know, I think if we twisted this time, we could beat this guy or I can pick this guy. And, and you know, he's not watching where his shoulders are turned and whatnot. And, and you get a, the players on the field have some of this judgment to do by themselves unless they're told – we have a blitz coming. That's number one. Or two, we don't want you doing it at all this game because we want to keep this quarterback in the pocket. And I think it was the latter of those two that they decided, yeah, we'll call a couple during the game just to show it. But we basically want to keep Ritter in the pocket and making his own mistakes from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it lines up with the the the, the underlying theme of all of these defensive points we're touching on is the, you know, the, the clear game plan of, of trying to stay – like not trying to overcomplicate stuff because he already presumably they're thinking he already doesn't know exactly what what's going on. So let's just play like straight defense, honest defense, if you will, and then let him try to beat us honestly, thinking yeah. that he can. 
Yeah, I, I he probably played better than they expected him to, honestly. Yeah, I, I would think so for the for the weather and whatnot. He certainly played better than I expected him to. And and you know, five point eight yards per play, it's really hard to come out and really say that that you know that's a that's a good per play pass number, but the weather was terrible. You know, the opponent was was very difficult for the pass. And you know, if you got a quarterback who can basically get that done and not turn the ball over, which is really the other important key for him. Uh, he kept his team in the game. He he did what he needed to do, I think, to help them try and win this game. A lot of it was on on how they field in the red zone, how they couldn't get in running the ball uh, from the one yard line, really on multiple occasions. One of those mm-hmm. was his own intentional grounding call. That was probably his biggest mistake of the game in terms of of what he did wrong. Yeah, well, if they can if they can get those uh, red zone offensive red zone. Um, scenarios ironed out just tell them to give us a call yeah because <laughs> it's 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 harder than it looks i promise it's uh it's not easy especially when it's kind of a one-man show where you're like let's just make sure they don't throw to london and mm-hmm. then you just kind of know they're running it and then you saw when they did try to do it it's like let's just throw up jump balls and see if you can beat them so i think they're they're working with a short deck yeah, they they don't have a lot of guys at receiver right now, so he's getting a lot of their a lot of their uh, uh, targets. And Zacchaeus, uh, and I'm not sure how to, how to pronounce his name exactly, but he had a lot of targets, but they didn't go for my seven targets for 18 yards in this game, so two and a half yards of targets. Was he number 17? Yeah, number 17. Yeah, he was he was the other guy um, that they had. That they we were putting Humphrey on him a handful of times for some reason. I'm not sure what they were doing with that. They they normally play Humphrey just at right corner with Stevens at left corner at least in this game uh, they did that and they certainly do it when they have Peters on the field because the what what is kind of more important to the game than the Ravens and getting the matchup they want is to have Peters in a comfortable spot in cover three positions so that he's playing off the shoulder he's used to playing off of and he really seems to like to play left corner for whatever reason mm-hmm. and Humphrey has been effective playing right corner so they 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 usually stay with that. Humphrey is the one guy you can move to play anywhere, but I always say he's also like the trump card. When you use him, you've used him, whether that's at the slot or or at left or right, wherever you know. You only get one. There's only one place you can play Marlon Humphrey, and you get a little bit better work there. And the my only my only issue is when they play him in the slot that I don't think they're getting the very most out of him in terms of what his physical assets are. Yeah, and sometimes it's you know sometimes I think, but like for example on the um, you remember the Drake completion over the middle i think it was early third quarter he threw behind him uh, hamilton was in um pursuit uh, for, so on that play hamilton was lined up outside on london and humphrey was lined up inside on 17 the guy whose name we can't say exactly and they were yeah and they're right next to each other and so they sent 17 in motion and then humphrey just essentially follows them and then just kind of drifts and converts into what looks like a bubble zone or something and now you just have hamilton one-on-one on the outside with drake and I remember in the moment being like, why would you want, like you, they're right there, just flip them and then have Humphrey be on the better guy and they're two inches apart. And if he's in motion, then you got, you know, KJ next to the line of scrimmage, which is where you'd prefer him anyway. Yeah. I, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of, the lot goes in there. Was any, any rub concept on that play that was even a potential? No, because KJ was lined up outside and Humph was lined up inside within, you know, six inches of each other. And they sent the slot, the inside guy who was, number 17 in motion and basically took Humphrey out of the play. Presumably he just, he, he keyed in on it and was like, Oh, they have man coverage and they have London and AJ. So that's my read. 
And I just remember yeah. thinking, what you know, KJ's in the slot the whole game. Why choose to put him outside on their number one option? Yeah, in that I didn't play? catch it, but now I have to go back and look at that play. If you can text or text me or, or send me send me by uh, direct we'll message do. what that play was. Will do. Uh, yes, you referred to KJ several times. Is 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 Jay Hamilton's middle initial? Is no, KH. okay, sorry, K H. Yeah, okay. K H. This is no problem. I, I I just want to make sure people understand who you're talking about when we when you say that. Uh, Simulated you know pressure. what it is because KJ yeah. Hamler kind of yeah. sounds like Kyle Hamlin, so I think I just you know it's Christmas, guys. <laughs> we should have other things on our mind, and yet we're doing a football show. <laughs> uh, this is our <laughs> gift to you. Yeah. So uh, simulated pressures they did five times; those were very effective uh, for only fourteen yards on those plays. Uh, a good that obviously had some discomfort for Ritter that was probably involved on those plays, and I thought if if there's something you want to do more of that would have probably been it. And so, you know, obviously they don't have football. One of the things I always say about it is it doesn't have good control groups. So you really can't test things very well and then retest them to see if, if I just change this one variable, you know, how do things change that much? Well, that's not the way football works. There's a, a lot of chaos going on and you're trying to sift out what you can in terms of learning from it. So they won't be able to do this with, with, again, well, with Ritter, maybe not for another four years until they face him again, but with, uh, with some other young quarterback, they may think, well, okay, let's bring some simulated pressures back if we see these characteristics in the guy. And, and this was a case where I thought a young quarterback uh, you know, had some difficulty with simulated pressure in this game in terms of trying to figure out what was going on. Yeah, it's always great to have as many wrinkles as you can, especially when you when you're, the team shows you we can execute these successfully. Having those as many variations as you can, especially come playoff time, it, it, it's got to be great just to pull those out whenever you need. Yeah, it is. It is nice. And and the Ravens don't have a lot of variation of defensive package right now. We mentioned that in the first show. Um, but if if you can show them a lot of different looks at the line of scrimmage, even within a relatively small number of packages, you make an offensive coordinator's job more difficult. And I do think, by the way, that's one of the things that's going to make it easier for a really good offense to face the Ravens in the playoffs or maybe even in week 18 for that matter is that they're, they're going to be looking at a defense which just does not show that much variation in the personnel they have on the field. And when you have that to start with, you could do a lot more to plan your offense and script your offense around certain players being there. Mm, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting point. I, it is going to be as great as the defense is played. There is going to be a significant test for us, depending on the matchup where – our personnel, because we touched on this in the first episode, our personnel kind of only lends itself to one or two formations if we're trying to optimize how successful mm-hmm. we can be. And if we find a team that matches up well in their favor against those formations, it's going to be really interesting to see what the Ravens try to do to combat that. Right. They, they, it's it's very difficult because you've really, you really, you, the other team can put you in a position where you, you can force an inside linebacker off the field by putting a 10 personnel out there, say, and yeah. you can't, you just can't really cover that with a nickel. You really need to have a dime on the field. Once you have a dime on the field, there's only two ways to do it. You can take an inside linebacker off, or you can take a defensive lineman off and play a 32 dime. So either, but most teams and the Ravens in their history have played almost exclusively the four, one dime with one inside linebacker and, and a four man line of scrimmage, which may be, two, three, or even sometimes four outside linebackers, but it's, but it's, uh, you know, four heavy guys at the line of scrimmage, one inside linebacker or three and two. When they have played 32 dime, 
Uh, one of them was one of the really Ravens' very successful defensive teams, and that was the 2001 team, which even after an incredibly deep defensive line season in 2001, they still said, we can play 32 dime because because um, Jamie Sharper is one of our best coverage players who can also rush the passer and gave them a lot of flexibility on that team. Uh, they had not played any 32 dime for many years until I believe last year they brought it back in the Ravens game, in the, sorry, in the Raiders game in week one and played it a few more times for the rest of the season. But basically they've hardly played that defense at all since 2001. And they may be in a position in the playoffs where you, where you go back and we actually see more 32 dime. Hmm. Well, that would be, I mean, that would be interesting. That'd be a swing to, if you wanted to catch a team off guard, if your first opponent, you premiere a defense that you haven't shown all season, that would, that'd be something cool. If, especially if maybe we'll touch on this, if they decide to rest some of their players, they, that might be something they can dedicate a little more time to during the week to, to fold in, you know, come playoff time. Okay. If you, So if they if they do it during the week, you're presuming they're not going to do it during, on the weekend and then show it to other other teams that, hey, we've got this 32 dime in our back pocket. We can pull out when we need to, which I think is probably good. I think the, the better way to do it is to have a half of no advanced knowledge, pull out the 32 dime, you know, maybe in the second half of the game, maybe in the first half of the game, either one against 10 personnel. I think that's 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 the way you'd probably like to have it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So if the team decides or if the way the the wild card seating breaks, it's it's not as advantageous for us to play the the full uh, starting roster for 17 or 18. Wow. They can they can use the the time that they're not focusing on those specific weeks trying to win the game to install some some wrinkles on defense and to use a boxing analogy, you know, switch the southpaw at the yeah. start of the fight and catch the opponent off guard. Yeah, yeah, there you go. That's a good one. Uh, everybody's seen Rocky too, right? That's, that's from that's right. Probably. Yeah. All right. Uh, since he's going to be Apollo. <laughs> go. So, uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about individual players. So you're, uh, you're up first here as the guest, uh, talk about any individual player you like and, and what you saw, what you liked, and, and, uh, we'll have a little back and forth and then I'll go next. Okay. So, uh, first I would like to talk about, uh, Kyle Hamilton. Um, just to fan out for a second, I'm just, I really love, I really love his game. I like the way he's used and, you know, at the start of the season, it was, it was getting a little touch and go there. I think a lot of fans are getting nervous and the way that he's, he's come on and the way they've used him is awesome. It's just, it's, it's super fun to see. So he has, he's basically a slot cornerback at this point and they, they, they kind of use him as such, but he has, an ability that I think he may be picked up from Roquan to to avoid blocks by juking or by sidestepping, mm-hmm. and he does it multiple times in the, in the games. And you can you could, like he he did it on um on the screen pass that he blew up on the the left side screen pass. I forget. I think it might have been a seventeen, and he just shot in, juked around the blocker, and then goes in the backfield to. You know, he missed the tackle, but it ended up being a tackle for loss. And he um, he does it on his blitzes, too. I'd love to see them use him a little more in the blitzing game because uh, he has a uh, – I think you get, might have talked about it in one of your pods. He put a nasty move on a left guard a few weeks back. Yep. And Pro I don't hold. know what it is. I don't remember ever seeing him at Notre Dame used that way. But there's there's something there that that they could they could definitely tap into. I mean, they are definitely asking him to play with literally one arm tied behind his back with the 
position he's playing right now. He's, he is not the ideal physical fit for this. He'd be much more effective as a free safety uh, or or a, even just a safety. You move up and down, move all over the field to, to take away routes, to erase routes uh, as a robber, to come up to the line of scrimmage whenever you want him. But playing him at slot corner with a defined responsibility, at least to start, on a you know a, a slot receiver that will be of varying types, it might be a tight end sometimes. He, then he gets a tight end matchup like people always talk about, and sometimes it's a five eight receiver who he's got to you know put a jam move on right at the start and try and uh, try and disrupt his route that way. And sometimes it's a bigger guy where he's you know he's a, a a decent physical matchup for him, but he may have more long speed and 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 disad you know put him at disadvantage. It just the fact that he's played as well as he has put in that kind of position bodes extremely well for his career. And, you know, mm. what he came out of Notre Dame for and, and, you know, what we all loved him for in the draft was his instincts and his the thing that's critical for, for a free safety, his ability to, to judge where that ball was going earlier, put him in great position. He took great angles to the football uh, to go very long distances. And I mean, you don't want to attribute very many things that are like Ed Reed, but his, his ability is to, Go to a far, go to a spot far away, because that was the judgment he was making. It's just terrific, and uh, and you know, in a lot of cases, even if if that's given away to the quarterback too early, if the quarterback picks up on that, and you know, he he sees him going, it may still take that route away, and then your pass rush may get home. Even if if, if he left island coverage somewhere else, or he left a you know a, a tight end on a on a inside linebacker in a matchup you didn't like, it still may allow your pass rush to get home because it forces the next read. And and I just I love a, a free safety who plays his instincts well like that. Yeah, and so let me ask you this because everything I agree with everything you said, and that's part of why I'm so excited about him going forward with what we're seeing. Is I don't even know if the skills that got him drafted and made him the prospect he is are, are even helping him that much with how well he's playing right now. So I'm wondering if we're seeing how much, how how undervalued, how undervalued he was coming out or if his instincts and his, you know, ability to diagnose plays and, and make smart decisions is what's giving him the edge at slot and compensating for the, the poor prototype. Yeah, I think I think I think that's very true. Is that is that he just brings you a different set of skills in the slot that's very unusual for the position. First of all, having a hulking underneath player like that, um, just from a size perspective, I mean, he's six four two twenty one. So you start with in terms of just his, and he's got very long arms. So the the mm-hmm. the, uh, the the profile he shows the quarterback in terms of the 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 player he has to throw over or throw by even to one side. Um, is much larger. There's a much larger deflection radius there. Plus, he's Kyle Hamilton, so he's going to have better instincts to make his first move on the ball, even if he doesn't have that great speed. He's shown tremendous instincts for a ball tipped up in the air that very much like a free safety. We saw that result in one interception this year. Uh, you know, We've seen his ability as a tackler much higher than your typical slot corner. There are a lot of guys who are dogs there, really love to play downhill football, um, and there's just a little undersized to do it. Corey Ivy for the Ravens, if you want to think back in Ravens history. Lardarius Webb, even when he played the slot, um, you know, really hard. Tavon Young, hard physical player um, it, it, who just was not quite as gifted in, in that result. Kyle Hamilton, incredibly gifted. You mm-hmm. mentioned the the kind of the Euro step move he made on Froholt to get by him. Uh, you know, just a, he was he became a ghost on that play to get by yeah. Froholt, and yeah. uh, uh, he's. 
he it's it's just a different set it's 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 maybe a little bit hard for opponents to deal with because they're just not used to a player like that being in that position on the field that i think is really helping so yeah yeah i mean that it's you know I, i've danced around it i it's it's set borderline sacrilege to evoke the name of number 20 in the backfield yep. in comparison to any player but when i see the versatility like the pass rush has found money i don't i think harbaugh said in a presser they didn't think he had that they, they didn't mm-hmm. coming out have him pegged as this guy he's been an absolute stud on special teams and these were all things that these were all wrinkles to ed reed's game where he would just all of a sudden be flying around you know slapping the ball out of the quarterback's hand in his back throw or or being maybe the best special teams player ever so like that i'm hoping that there's still a there's still some people in the organization that remember the way they implemented Ed Reed in a, you know, back in those defensive game plans to drive the offenses crazy. And they at least, you know, take some mental notes and say, Oh, this would, maybe this is a, we could plug him in. And the, you know, cause I'd hate to see them. I'd hate to see him get plugged into a free safety role and we just lose th- this thing where he's blowing up screen passes yeah. and blitzing. Yeah. Like, like let him, let him cook. Yeah. I, I agree with that. I think that the, the best comparison probably isn't Reed, but we want to make it because he's a Raven. And everybody knows who he is. It's Derwin James. I mean, Derwin James coming out of school was, uh, you know, a guy who was undervalued, obviously, because he because he waited to be taken 17th, uh, even after the Ravens you know didn't make the pick. Um, but similar in that they really almost play him as an additional edge defender. That he's up in the box, you know, playing, you know, at the edge of the line of scrimmage a lot. And a lot of that's what Kyle Hamilton could do. So you could put him in slot. You can, you can just rush him off the edge. You can make no bones about it. You can line up much lighter with Derwin James around. And, uh, you know, he's a, he's a really difficult pass defender to deal, sorry, pass rusher to deal with, um, when you're an opposing offense. So lots of things you could do with him. And I think, I think he's probably the, the best comp for Hamilton right now in the NFL. It's certainly not the honey badger who I often talk about him being that guy. It's I'm doing that tongue in cheek. He doesn't have you know, Teron Matthews speed or, or other uh, elements of, of, of Matthews games, but does have some of the things about having great instincts and uh, great movement skills. That first step is very good. And uh, he's a better pass rusher, obviously, obviously, maybe not obviously, but he's a better pass rusher than Matthew is in my opinion. And uh, I, I, he, he just gives you, you know, I, it's it's a very exciting set of traits, and I don't want the Ravens to necessarily pigeonhole him into any spot next year because of it. There is a reasonable chance, I think. Well, let me ask the question. Do you think it's a reasonable chance that they engineer a Chuck Clark trade in order to give him the, the strong safety and green dot role at the same time now they wouldn't have to they could just give him the green dot and keep clark they could do both of those things by the way well i think they're th- the third option would be if they you know because a lot of this is contingent on how the season shakes out for example if they were to give roquan the extension mm-hmm. if they were if that th- was it even a thought entering their head i think it would probably be the smarter and safer bet to to have roquan wear it since he's not leaving the field now anyway and then now that gives you the flexibility with with entertaining trade offers if if Clark is still slightly unhappy or or you're going to have to let someone go and then maybe you get to keep Gino as the backup or something i would say it's it's reasonably possible but i would hope that they don't do i, I hope they don't engineer that scenario mm-hmm. 
I, I, I hope so too, but it is a fair amount of money they'll be paying Clark. And so um, I could understand why they might want to conserve there. And, and especially if you're trying to sign both Roquan and Lamar Jackson, uh, and, and, and maybe, maybe the, the most difficult situation is you, you have to play with, with Lamar on the tag and you want to try and sign Roquan. You want to get that exact, that exact, exact, <laughs> then you, you really need to probably figure out where you're going to conserve. And there's only a few players, um, you know, it's, they, they've got, uh, uh, it's guys that are, they'll hurt like hell to lose them, but it's, it's, uh, you know, players like Zeitler and, um, uh, Campbell and players like that who have significant uh, salary dollars in their final year that they can they they could potentially unload. So it's it, there aren't there aren't a lot of choices unfortunately, and I I think they're not getting full value from Clark right now. Even though I thought he played very well in this game, and the reason is that Clark's value has been as a guy who who can play as the second safety on early downs, but move up to dime back on third down. And this year, they could they could potentially play a lot of dime because they've gotten into a lot of third and long situations, but they haven't done it because now they're a committed nickel team with both Smith and Queen on this team. So there's no there's no place for Clark anymore to get in the box. I don't I don't want them to engineer that. I don't want them to figure out how they can do that. I think it would be honestly it'd make the team a lot weaker if they lost either of Roquan or Queen for next year. So I, I, I it, but I think the more likely if I had to if I had to really say. I'd say they probably sign Roquan long-term and figure out a way to trade Queen for real value. I think that is a possibility. Um, I, I don't like it, but but I think it'd be a possibility. Well, there's a lot of ways they could go. I think that they, I think Clark's value was inflated for the team because we were playing Queen when he was terrible. Mm-hmm. And and Char- Clark filled like uh, the team needs so perfectly, and he's so smart, and he could wear the dot and all that stuff. And now having two very good li- inside linebackers and having Hamilton has mitigated some of that additional benefit he brought. Like you said, his contract he's aging; he's literally asked to be traded. So it's it's kind of it's kind of a pick your poison because as much as I love Roquan and don't ever want to not have him be on the Ravens. I don't know. I do not want them to give him twenty million a year, which is what they, he's reportedly been asking from the Bears and stuff. Right. So you're you're if you're talking about allocating cap space, and you're saying, well, should it go to the strong safety slash dime back or the inside linebacker? Your answer is like, can it go to neither? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like why did we let Matt Judon walk for twelve million a year to give Rokon twenty? That's that's a really legitimate question, and and honestly. If if you're following like what I would consider really good, and I know Vasilikos has strong feelings about this as too, and we don't always align on things, but one of them is to try and figure out where you're not going to spend money. And inside linebacker and running back are two positions where the Ravens are spending some money right now, and they probably need to figure out how to not spend money there. And mm-hmm. and uh, um, I, I you know they they could do they really could do it either way roquan's requirements could come down into a more reasonable manageable level of course given the year he's had you know who knows why that would happen but but it could the the big thing they have is now their two biggest contract situations are with people who don't have an agent and yeah. it's it, what we found from the lamar situation is when you don't have when nobody is your agent everybody is your agent mm-hmm. everybody is your agent and and what i mean by that is literally the nflpa is 
chirping in your ear like a bunch of busybodies trying to tell you, oh, no, you need to do this for every other player in the league. Uh, I just wish, you know, sometimes some of these people would have Scott Boris instead, even though, you know, his reputation is and, and, and you know, get them to at least be reasonable about what their value is in the league and try and get them to understand that. It's it's tough. I think I think after after um, EDC finishes this, he's going to be asking for a new contract for all the headaches he's been put through. That's fine. He's outside of the cap. So he's <laughs> yeah, honestly fine. as a give fan, him what he wants. Yeah, give him whatever he wants. That's Steve Bishotti's money. But but in in the case of the uh, uh, of the players, we can't have that. And that is, yeah. by the way, the Bishotti management system. He hasn't been cheap at all, at least as far as I know with hiring talented people in that building and whatever you may think no. of the Baltimore Ravens, they've done a wonderful job of their non-cap people being uniformly terrific in the team's history. They've had every, every defensive coordinator they've had, even the, the quote unquote bad ones like Dean Pease um, at Madison, you know, have been pretty good. It's been the, 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 you know, the worst, when the worst you get at that is pretty good. That's, that's, that's damn good. If you look at the yeah. offensive coordinator, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to I was going to agree with you. I remember even seeing articles a couple times in Ravens history uh, where the Ravens were getting heat from other ownership groups through frustration because the Ravens were spending so much in off, you know, off cap spending, if you want to call it that front off stuff, basically to entice free agents and and help player personnel stuff. And teams were didn't like it. I think I, I don't know which hiring it was. I don't think it was this most recent round where they hired T Higgins or, or what's the name? T Martin, T Martin and the different guys. But there was one before that where they, they dipped heavily and EDC was like paid more than most GMs and they had Ozzie Newsome. And then they had a handful of guys that were paying a lot and teams were getting frustrated because they thought it was creating an unfair advantage. So, you know, Jason Lock and Fora for some reason is convinced that the Ravens don't like to spend money, but, I think that he Bashad is more than willing to break even if that's what it yeah. takes. I, I I'll just say this is an area where JLC is completely full of shit. If he's yeah. I'll just I'll just say it that as simply as possible is is that uh, he he doesn't really understand that you know how Bashadi is handling management within the organization. If I think he does, and he's spiteful. Yeah, I mean Ozzy is you know they made the point that I don't think they even I don't. I don't even think they necessarily cut his salary to, to go to his current role. They might've left him at the same spot. Now, at, maybe there's some difference. Maybe there are some incentives. Maybe there's other things involved. They, they gave the, the job to, to EDC. If EDC is making a lot of money, there's a couple of things involved. One is they had to pay him as a GM before he got the GM role because he was obviously in waiting behind Ozzy and they didn't want to lose him. So for yeah. years that they, they paid him more than you'd pay your assistant general manager. And then, and then he gets the job and then you're really paying two or maybe it's 1.75. Now maybe Ozzy takes a 25% pay cut or something to, to, to be in his current scouting role. But boy, the one thing you can point to that, that is great about this is the same guys have been making the draft picks for the Baltimore Ravens since 1996. And there's no other organization that can make that claim. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, the it, it, the consistency is great to see. I, I I feel bad for the franchises where they're constantly they don't even know the name of their GM and the <laughs> head coach. And you know, it's nice to have the consistency there, which speaks to the culture and how good everyone is at hiring top to bottom. We grew up with the. Uh, I, I, did you grow up in Baltimore, Tyler? I was born in Johns Hopkins. I'm an Army brat, so never okay. anywhere for more than a couple of years. All right. What year were you born? Eighty eight. 
Eighty. Okay, so you're you're much past it. So I'm I'm at that age where I, the Burt Jones era Colts are the first golden era team that I was I actually missed the Super Bowl five Colts, for example, uh, by a year in terms of of you know being aware of the games and watching on TV or radio or whatever. Um, but they but they had uh, uh, the Burt Jones era in '74. Is probably the first year that I that I really listened to a lot of games or watched them on TV. And and Joe Thomas was the GM for the Colts, and he installed himself as the coach to finish the season. They had a bad start, went 0-5, and I think Joe Thomas went into to the sidelines to be the uh, – And uh, for those who don't know, Joe Thomas, legendary, legendary general manager who built the great 49ers teams of the 80s. And he he, he knew he wasn't the long-term answer at the head coach, and he said, okay, we're, but we're going to have the right organizational direction in 74. They went 2-12 and on that season, but they didn't get blown out in a lot of games. They installed Burt Jones at quarterback. They got things figured out. And the next year, they had the biggest turnaround at that time in NFL history, going 10 and four, producing one of the really exciting years in Colts history, uh, beating the Miami Dolphins in the fall game to win the division, et cetera. Uh, so it was, it, was a really, it was a really great season. But immediately before that 75 season, they hired Ted Marchabroda to, to come in and, and be the guy. It's incredible how short, given how brilliant he was, the Joe Thomas era was in Baltimore. But they let him go, I think. I, I don't think he was even here five years. I think it was it was, it was a it was a it was a might have been shorter than that. And you think about the stability they had with Ozzie Newsom and with DaCosta, and it's now lasted twenty five years. Just absolutely incredible uh, in a in a relative sense how long these guys have stayed. Yeah, I mean it's definitely it's it's definitely a mindset that's coming from the top. I mean Bashadi obviously values that stuff because. I don't even know the third coach, but it was basically Billick and then Harbaugh. And we've just basically slightly shifted from Ozzy to EDC, even though they both still have probably the similar responsibilities. So he it's, and you know, almost to a fault, there's been times where the coordinators, I think maybe we should have pulled the rip cord a little earlier, but they just don't like to do that. Yeah, they, they, Ted Marshall by the way, the, the the head coach of the Ravens for the first three seasons, which is mm. also the '75 Colts coach. So it's an interesting uh, oh, okay. situation there. By the way, this is off topic a little bit, but if you can go out and find it, it's been on YouTube at times, but I have a copy of it, 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 it on, on disc, and it, it can be found out there. Get the 1974 Colts highlight film. It 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 makes no bones about who this team is. It actually starts, I believe, with with Joe Thomas talking about hiring Ted Marchabroda going into 1975. And they're sitting there on a couch, as I recall, in an office talking about it. And then they talk about the season and how, you know, it didn't go well. We only won two games, but, but you know, we didn't get blown out and, and, and things. Went. It's, it's a great film to talk about a young football team and how it was put together that's in the guise of being a highlight film for that team for a year, which it's oftentimes very difficult to do when you have a two and 12 team. So, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's very well done and, and is, uh, is worth taking a, taking a look at. You really get a sense of just how, how special Joe Thomas was even, even at that time. Well, I um, checked that out. Yeah. He's, he's kind of also known as the guy who dismantled the Super Bowl Colts and made a whole bunch of trades to trade away, the uh, the stars of that era, you know, John Mackey and Curtis and uh, uh, who was the other guy? Mike Curtis actually stayed around. I, the, the guy I'm thinking of is the center, Bill Curry, um, and, and a number of other players to, to to get draft picks for all of them. And and uh, uh, anyway, enough of that. We've talked about the 1975 Colts for 20 minutes now or 10 minutes, and I I want to get back to this game. 
Uh, so you took Hamilton on your initial one. I'm going to jump ahead, and I want to talk about Travis Jones a little bit because I thought he played a great game. One mm-hmm. of the things that seems to happen with Travis Jones, he's a big physical guy in terms of ripping people down on tackles. I just noticed he almost takes away assisted tackles from other players when he does that. It's like, I'll have a player, another player will also have him, and they could just kind of ride him to the ground. But instead, Travis Jones just rips him to the ground out of the arms of the second player. And, you know, I, I noticed that happening at least once in this game, and there might have been twice where he, he like, denied somebody else an assist, a tackle assist because of this, this ripping action he did for the, for the solo. He's he's been a sight for sore eyes. I think uh, I'm sure a lot of Ravens fans were extremely excited about him based on the the camp buzz and Calais Campbell and all these guys just feigning you know praise and t- talking about how powerful he was and how athletic he was. And I really thought he was going to be the, the defensive uh, rookie bright spot, even over even over Kyle Hamilton. And mm-hmm. he's been pretty quiet. I don't know how much the injury played into that. But he's he's starting to come on, and he was super dominant in this game. And it's it's some it's sometimes it's hard to tell between him and Washington which one is which because they're both beating the guards ass so bad. And you're like Sh- I can't yep. even see. You know what I mean? <laughs> like they're they're basically their numbers are blocked by the tackles because they're they're now in the same part. So I was even watching this game. I'm like I don't know which one it is, but either way, both of them are killing it. You know? Yeah, they're they're both great, getting great push. Do you want to talk your notes on Washington in this game? Washington is probably he might be the the find the diamond in the rough or the or the you know whatever you want to call it the most surprising um, off the street kind of a guy where you uh, he's been better than Jones I think he's been incredible he, like him him playing the way he does I think allows them to what your your point earlier to play that true four down line pass rush not over committing to the run, not having to send a lot of scheme stuff. He, he just really can. And, and the Falcons have a good offensive line and you wouldn't have known it from this game. He, I don't, I think I saw maybe one play in the second half where I thought he legitimately lost the rep. Like he, he got actually pushed off the ball, but he was basically positive on, on, on every snap I was watching. What, what did you see? Yeah, fantastic game. He's he made my uh, star treatment article, so it's out there. The individual nice. plays that I noted, but he was definitely one of the players. Very physical player. Um, one of the things I thought about Washington was he was really too small to play nose tackle at about three hundred four, three hundred five. Th- that he plays, he's also kind of tall, which that's that's a kind of a bad or can be a bad combination to play nose tackle. But boy, he's been he's been so physically dominant at the line of scrimmage. I have to take that back. I mean, I think that he's he's they can get by with him. I'm not sure it's the best use of him. I think, you know, you maybe get more use out of him a three, but the Ravens have, you know, a, a fairly dedicated three in Matabike. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it, it just he's he's unbelievably good for a backup three tech on any football team. No team should be that lucky to have their backup three be as good as Broderick Washington and to be also a guy who can come in and play the nose whether that's uh, you know as your as your starting nose, which is not it has not typically been, or as a guy who who just plays a fair amount of snaps in, which it really has been, um, then that's great as well. And you know he's he, he's he's in 16 weeks now he's averaged 25 snaps a game. I think he's been available for every game. Let me see, do I have that right? Is it about 25 snaps per game? Yeah, just about 25 snaps per game. He's right around 400 for the season. 
So uh, uh, it's actually a little bit higher than that because we had week 16, but we've actually had only had 15 games so far. So a little bit higher than that, but not too much. So anyway, I, I just they've been so lucky to find him. Um, and and he was a guy, you know, I, I, we've said this a number of times on this show, who I wasn't even 100% sure was going to make the team in camp at a very deep defensive line position. Mm-hmm. Didn't really yeah, do you sense. remember the Mac or Washington talk? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was a thing. And uh, and it certainly has been. And they had nine guys in camp they really liked. And and it's it, to me, it's incredible that Mac is still around on the practice squad this late. He's he's the kind of guy you know. Defensive linemen get hurt. You know, as as the as the season goes on, you figure him to be plucked. Yeah, yeah. It's it's been he, he it it kind of shows. I mean, the offensive line is probably the most like this, but it's it's to a certain extent you're only as good as your weakest link along the line. And when you have someone like Washington, who's dominating next to Calais Campbell or JPP or Jones, who's also dominating and so on and so forth, you can see how helpless it is for the offense. Because if there is that one guy, not, not to pick on urban, cause he wasn't horrible, but there was a couple of plays where I saw him kind of get blown off the ball. If you had him on there, every play, the running back is always going to, intuitively find that space and then it puts the pressure now moves to the second level to make those tackles or to the d-line to get a free hand or shed when every yeah when everyone is beating their guy on along the line like that good luck especially with the lateral quickness of these linebackers yeah i mean for starters the play gets blown up when you have one of your guys move somebody two yards back into the back or even a yard back a lot of times into the backfield the ravens had some problems pulling in this game because they did have uh, guys getting pushed back into the backfield and it's, it doesn't have to be on a on a pull but on any kind of zone scheme if somebody crosses the face of one of the players that really shuts down it kind of bifurcates what that running back has in terms of cutback options at that point particularly if it's kind of ahead of the running back that it occurs mm-hmm. you know then he's he's got to figure out where he cuts back he's, he's he can't he, he doesn't have the full range of options available to him it's almost like a well-set edge on the zone to have a penetrator uh, who can then you know you know cut down on the options that that running back has, but in a power scheme, you know we we think of it as being just edge setting that forces a play back to the inside and funnels it to the linebackers and makes it easier. But uh, but in zone running, it's uh, it's really penetration that gets you uh, the result you want on defense. Mm. Do you want to pick another player? Yeah, so I'd like to talk about um, is this is this the talk about in general with star treatment or can i talk about someone that i'm talking about whoever you want to so i'd like to touch on bowser Mm -hmm. um bowser has been like a personal favorite of mine i love i love bowser he's he's just that like jj you know jared johnson kind of guy who doesn't really get talked about that much but is almost always in the right position and is way better in coverage than he's supposed to be Mm -hmm. um and i don't know he i didn't think he had the best game and there were a handful of plays where I saw him get blown blown off the block or or lose contain on the edge. And um, again, Roquan kind of covering up for some of that. It was flying over to make the play. I've also noticed that there's plays where they're dropping JPP or OA or other guys into coverage, and that would almost always have been the Bowser role. So this is more anecdotal and, and I'm for, phrasing it in the form of a question to you has Bowser not come back from that injury with the athleticism he had and the team is now shifting his role. 
I don't think that's really it. I think if you if you if you their PS had I think less coverage snaps this year, but I think that might be the change in defensive coordinator we're seeing. Okay, is that is that McDonald is doing less of dropping the edge and okay think about why you drop edge players you drop edge players oftentimes to set up some sort of exotic blitz right so Mm -hmm. you're you're dropping somebody to cover because you want to blitz an inside linebacker you want to blitz the safety the slot corner whatever and you can rely on tyus bowser to do that very well well the the ravens still do some of that but they probably do 40 percent as much as well okay that's probably exaggeration 60 percent as much as they used to with mcdonald as opposed to with wink martindale and so mm. there's less coverage snaps for Tyus. And I'm just looking at it here. Uh, PFF has him for 43 coverage snaps so far this year out of 280. So that'd be about a little over one-seventh of his total snaps. Whereas if you go back to 2021, uh, let me see if I can even do that here. So if I go back to 2021, he had 218 coverage snaps out of 832. So that's more than 25%. So you can see he's 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 down to about sixty percent of his total coverage snaps this year as he had had before, right. and a lot of that I think really is supporting um, exotic blitzes is less of what they're asking Tyus Bowser to do right now. I don't think it's related to injury, not just personally. Okay. I don't think so. Well, that's good. I guess it's just I, I'd like to see him having a bigger impact on the game, and I don't know if if the the two inside linebacker sets that we're running now with all the coverage we're getting. And as you just outlined, the less, the, the less we're running these exotic blitz ed guy stuff. If, if his role, if he's now kind of in a Chuck Clark place where his, his value isn't what it was before. Okay. I mean that, I think it's possible to look at it that way. And that's probably pretty reasonable is that, Bowser can do more for you when you're really making use of what he brings to you in coverage. That if you drop him off the line of scrimmage, he has he has legitimate value. He can he can move laterally. He can get his hands on the football. He can touch. And I think we've still seen some of that this year. I don't want to discount how Bowser has played, but the mm-hmm. boy, the way that he's most useful is he's the only Sam linebacker they have. He's the only one who really understands that set of responsibilities. And you know, they put him there and depended on him tremendously in terms of the number of snaps and whatnot this year after he got healthy. You can see right away from the for Ravens' struggles, or it's been a remarkable turnaround, but they were so shallow at outside linebacker depth earlier in this year, and they've moved on to be extremely deep there. Now it's maybe their deepest position. They can't even get a job active. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that that it's a it's a big surprise. But early in the year, everything was done out of necessity. Away had to be the same linebacker because he was the only one who had kind of had the physical gifts to be able to drop from the line of scrimmage. And that meant that somebody else who like Houston, who was the only one other though, otherwise who was healthy had to play almost every snap as a rush linebacker. And they had a, a rotating name of guys who you don't even remember on the team this year. I'm going to, I'm going to give you the names here. We're going to go through these names really quickly at outside linebacker who's played that position for the Ravens this year. Uh, and we'll go reverse alphabetical. Cause I think the last one is best, but Ajabo was there for one snap. He had means Canard, anybody remember <laughs> Canard briefly? Copeland and Ada Ochu. That is a <laughs> that is a rogues gallery of uh, players who are brought up from the practice squad. It's a murderous <laughs> row of people who won't remember those names. Yes. yes. Well, yeah, that's <laughs> so. Uh, and 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 you know, even even when they've had you know good players to come in, they've had to force them to play more than they needed to, like at Houston and Pierre Paul, more than they should. Uh, you know, just to, to to make sure they could ful- 
fill all the snaps um, at outside line. Like Harrison also runs into that group. I mean, 10 years from now, I think people are going to really remember that Malik Harrison played a fair amount of outside linebacker for this team. No. Yeah. Well, th- that's, uh, I mean, th- yeah, that's a good point. I think, I think whenever there's a change at coordinator, I think an under, an, an under evaluated part of that is the, the pieces that end up not being as valuable that were a part of the team before where, you know, maybe you have like some Swiss army knife guys where they're a jack of all trades, master of none, and they're very valuable to this one concept. And then you switch over to this new offensive or defensive scheme and they're left out in the cold. And I don't know if maybe teams don't think about it or players don't, you know, or fans don't think about it, but it's something that I am kind of worried about with, with Bowser and to a lesser extent with Clark. I, th- I think I think it's a very reasonable um, a, a very reasonable fear, and and I'll just say that the, these things do morph during a season, in terms of what your needs are. So you know they've used Clark, but if they had an injury at inside linebacker, they'd really be valuing what Clark could bring them as a dime instead. You know, if they, sure. if, they, if either of those guys were lost, it'd be tremendously valuable to have him. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so you know, it, it's they've they've certainly ve- gotten tremendous value of Clark moving between free safety and strong safety this year as needed with the loss of Williams and, you know, just the unbelievable play of stone as a backup in the season, uh, how well he, he played when, uh, when they had to depend on him, feel bad for that guy. He's, yeah. I hope they can keep him. Yeah. This, he's a, he's a RFA this year, so they can, they can make him an offer. It's not guaranteed when they get to the season, they can decide, you know, about how much they're going to play. But I don't think there's a big market for, uh, for Geno Stone, I could be wrong, but I, mm-hmm. I don't think there's a huge market. Mm. Who do you have I, next? I, I have I have held you on for too long. I think if you want another player, that's fine. Otherwise, we can move to MVPs. So we're already well over two fifteen on this show, and I don't want to hold you any longer on your Christmas night from your family. Let's uh, yeah, let's do some MVPs. All right, so three to one, you can go with your number three guy first if you like. My number three guy is Humphrey. Um, I think, you know, similar, it's kind of a a running bit on your show, how you basically don't give the star treatment or the MVP Mm -hmm. to Calais Campbell because it would be boring and you always, he always deserves it. And I think that that's definitely the case with Humphrey, even in games like this, where in theory, he's less valuable because the team isn't throwing the ball all over the field. Rewatching the game, it's just it's so obvious how crucial he is to every element of what the defense runs. And I don't know that they ask more, even with what we were talking about with Hamilton. I don't know that they ask more of any one player to just plug and play the way they do Humphrey, where they're like we like like he even like he. I was looking at his PFF last week, and he's one of the two or three highest rated defensive backs that rush in the passer randomly. He has a handful of sacks at that. He's he's always covering the top guy and moving into the slot. He really helps with with the run defense. I just think every game he's out there it would be is crucial. Yeah, he's he's uh, uh I I agree. And you know what? Honestly, I I think it's a it's a good case to be made over my number three guy. But my number three guy I have in there because he he really stepped up at an important time and a really critical time. And that's Brandon Stevens had a very good game um this week. They didn't really throw at him much. When they did, they weren't all that successful. They did have one uh, 10-yard hitch right on the outside that they threw uh, to the sticks where he was very soft. It's really the only only time I noticed if he came up on the sack, was good in run support, good otherwise in pass coverage. 
did not get flagged for any of his typical handsiness that we've seen in the past. So mm-hmm. this was a big step forward game, and I'm hoping that um, you know he can he can use this opportunity in place of Peters to really help the team decide what's what they can depend on him for next year. Yeah. Great game from him. And I, I see what you mean. I mean, we're, you know, grading on a little bit of a curve here. Yeah. Curve because yeah. Humphrey didn't do anything we didn't expect. And uh, Stevens had the game of his life when our second cornerback went down and everyone was kind of nervous. So huge game from him. He's such a, he's such a physical and strong player. If he could just figure out how to not get beat, you know, like he doesn't have to be super smart or jump routes or, you know, he doesn't have to be that necessarily. If he could just figure out how to not get flagged and not get beat badly, I think he would, he, he could carve out a nice role for himself on the team. I'll just say this in terms of a guy who could really benefit from position specific coaching this offseason, He's one of the big ones. Go to Deion Sanders camp. Figure out how to cover a guy because he's got the speed to do it. But right. cover a guy when you're not when you're not looking at the quarterback and how you look back. Keep your hand on that receiver to keep track of him without grabbing him. Just put your mm-hmm. hand on him. That's all you have to do to figure out where he's going. And and it's not that simple, obviously. But Deion Sanders would tell him what to do yeah. in terms of, of of his camp, and I think that could be a great investment in himself this offseason. I always think that, but you know that players ought to be doing even that more than the right. jug machine, Ken. Yeah. <laughs> he he hasn't been the big one on the jugs machine right no no i'm just my number two just, guy has been yeah yeah it's a kenism to say that's the 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 young players have to invest in the jugs machine it's the the biggest investment that's a, that's oh oh invest in uh, that equipment for themselves and the yeah I'm just yeah, you know sure. hard, you know with Hollywood Brown and with um, Boykins I was just giving yeah. you a hard time because you used to always say that's the, the number one investment they could make in themselves. There you go. It's it's definitely in position specific coaching during the off season. I, I as much as I love seeing videos of people catching the football in a jugs machine, the the position specific coaching and you know having Jackson as the north star for that is just wonderful. Um, you know he's 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 led the team. And I hope I hope that'll continue in terms of of showing other young people how much value you can get in investing out of yourself in, in offseason programs. Mm-hmm. Your number two guy. Number two is Hamilton. Now we we did we talked about him a lot, but just his ascension and his versatility, you know, similar to what they ask of of Humphrey, basically this year and and kind of last year, it's basically just been trying to plug the holes that that injuries have created. And I, I do not want to think about what this defense would look like if Hamilton was yeah. at the same place he was in the first few weeks and we just had to keep playing Pepe there or Stevens or something, even with this great game from Stevens. Having Hamilton in that slot has been such such a relief and really, really opened up uh, some creative ways that we use them to the point that I actually think – he's become a net positive over what a traditional slot cornerback would be giving us, even if we had one. Yeah, I absolutely. Completely agree on all that. And, and uh, you know, he's, he's definitely been one of the very key in season reversals of play uh, for this Ravens team. And, and mm-hmm. uh, now I, I, you know, I remain excited about the draft pick, whereas I'd be only, you know, maybe cautiously optimistic about the draft pick had he, turned in less of a year. I'm now, now mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about, about how they might use him in the future and that he might uh, become a regular pro bowler, uh, you know, beginning as early as next year. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy to, 
for all he all the the coming out of college stuff that he, without he was praised for and the way he started the season looking so lost it was just very confusing and then he just somehow it some clicked and now it's like those issues are never even there hmm. all right Here's i'm gonna move two. on one of my number two guys patrick queen balanced yeah. outstanding effort now he only had one tackle i believe he was credited with on a i may have that wrong on a on a primary basis and then he had about six assists they were good assists that he had. Um, and I think his only primary tackle was actually the sack where he was assisted by Stevens. Uh, on the I have play. him for nine, uh, for eight assisted. Okay, that that could be. Are you looking at the game book in the in that? Uh, let me look. I'm it up just here. I just have the, the like the ESPN stats up. Yeah, one one plus eight. You're right, nine combined. But that's very unusual to have only one solo and inside linebacker with eight assists. It's, mm-hmm. it's that's a that's a that doesn't I, that really doesn't happen to anyone <laughs> to have that kind of relationship because yeah. there's fewer assists than than uh, primaries uh, as you could you know because some tackles well, Queen's tackling could be described as more of assisting than um, soloing. Yeah, his, his tackling style. But he made a good play in uh, in coverage to roll over on 85. I forget who the, mm-hmm. that player is to to knock the ball free. Uh, yeah. Obviously, he was there from off the line of scrimmage as we talked about in that first show dropping uh, from the line of scrimmage all the way to recover the fumble by Humphrey. Uh, so a combination of really fine plays, even on some of the missed tackles, um, he was effective in terms of retracking a player. So uh, he's had a very good, uh, uh, a great run here. I know he was really upset about not going to the Pro Bowl. What I'd say is, is look forward to playing a complete season next year, and I'm pretty sure he makes it. Uh, yeah. I think if he plays with Roquan the whole season next year, I think the chances are very good that the two of them go to the Pro Bowl together. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, my number one guy is Roquan Smith. So basically everything you said about Patrick Queen with the added, you know, added kind of the leadership element. I think Roquan, as, as, as athletic as Pat Queen is, I think Roquan is actually a better athlete, which is crazy that they're so they're both so athletic. Roquan's ability to avoid getting caught in the garbage, mm-hmm. you know, like the, the lines breaking down, offensive linemen are falling over and blocks are coming out of nowhere. Roquan's like has a, I don't know if it's crazy peripheral vision or just an innate feel for spatial awareness, but he'll just, he'll just kind of run that, that strafe lateral movement towards the ball carrier and just intuitively shift his weight to bounce off or or get away from guys and then end up at the point of attack right away. It's really fun to watch. I, I I find myself constantly watching him when the play snaps, just because it's, it's an easy tell of where the play is going. Yeah. He's very good at reading. I agree with that. He's, he's, uh, I, I do, you know, he gets blocked like any player. So as Ray Lewis got blocked mm-hmm. by guards, you know, it, it would happen. He would always claim he was being double teamed whenever he got blocked <laughs> by a guard. You don't have to make excuse for it every time. It just happens. And, yeah. uh, but I agree. He's, he's good about not letting himself get caught in the wash as often as a lot of other linebackers do. And, and that's uh that's a special kind of ability to read the play. Sometimes it's a case of not making that, that wrong first step that the running back can read you too. So, uh, very quick to the ball when he needed to be. And uh, that showed up in some very big plays on, uh, on Saturday, uh, including the, the, the stop on the, on the goal line that really sealed the game up for the Ravens forced the, uh, uh, the Falcons to kick the field, kick the field goal instead of uh, win the game at that point, or instead of uh, score a touchdown at that point. Absolutely. All right. I, I, Tyler, 
been a great show. We're going to have to forego the mailbag tonight, folks. We just had a great conversation with Tyler and, and uh, really appreciate having him on. One more time, where can folks reach you online? Uh, on Twitter, I'm at CrazyRaven88 with a K, and that's it. All right, folks out there, if you if you wouldn't mind promoting the show in a certain way, a couple of ways you can do that. Write a review of the show. That's always nice. I haven't asked people to do that in a little while, but if you don't mind taking a moment uh, to write a nice review on Anchor, or Spotify, or whatever you do, that's that that always helps. Uh, if you could show the show the show to one new person, show somebody who knows maybe about podcasts and doesn't know about the show, that'd be great. Or maybe they. Um, don't know about podcasts and they're old and and they know how to use a computer barely like me, then just show them where they can go to the website and click play online so they can listen to it right at their desk. And they have my permission to listen to it at work. That's that's okay as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> One, I, I'm making no you know financial guarantee for them in that case, but, uh, but I, I hope they're able to listen to it at work as a lot of people are these days. Uh, Tyler, thanks again for coming on. Wonderful spending two and a half hours on your Christmas night with us. Just really appreciate it. Pleasure to be here. Always fun talking Ravens with you, Ken. We'll talk to you next time on Film Study. therapy is great for solving problems but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist fitting into their schedule and of course the cost well BetterHelp can solve those problems it's totally online and built around your schedule it's surprisingly affordable too connect with a credentialed therapist by phone video or online chat all from the comfort of your home visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month that's BetterHelp H-E-L-P when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.